Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. Finally, finally, the offseason is coming to an end. This is Al Sacco here with Zane Nackby for the No Huddle Cop podcast presented by 49ers Web Zone. This offseason, Zane, just seemed never-ending, didn't it? Yeah, and it seemed never-ending for a lot of different reasons than in years past. Like, in years past, it was it was just a, such a hard, taxing offseason or group of offseasons for 49ers, their, the, the 49ers, their fans, anybody connected to the team. But you, this year, it's a little bit different because... There's there have been a lot of changes, obviously in the front office and and an exciting draft class and a lot of free agent additions. Like, what is a Kyle Shanahan offense going to look like? What are John Lynch's free agent and draft additions going to do? What are Reuben Foster and Solomon Thomas going to do once they get on the field? There's just an air of excitement around this team that hasn't been there in years past. Competition after competition, can't wait to see it all play out as training camp opens. Even though this team is only projected to win five, six, seven games. If they have a good year, they'll probably go eight and eight. It's just there's so much excitement to see how, like you said, how Kyle Shanahan's offense is going to run, how Robert Sala's defense is going to run, and how these young players are going to progress. And training camp's going to be fun. I know there's a lot of fan interest, and, and we're going to break it all down today, and we have a great guest to do that with us. We have KNBR's Larry Kruger, so let's do it. And Al, we're thrilled about our guest today. He's a veteran of radio and can be heard hosting the 49ers pre- and post-game shows, as well as the Gary and Larry show weekdays at 10 a.m. Larry Kruger, how are you doing today? Oh, doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thanks for, thanks for giving us the time. And uh, before we start, I have to say that um, I, I lived in Seattle a couple of years, and, and during that couple of years, it was pretty lonely up there, and you guys kept me company. It was during the Harbaugh years, so you guys kept me company every day, 10 a.m. I was, I was listening, listening live, canbr.com slash listen live. And uh, thank you for that, man. I mean, it was it was, it was awesome. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, those are the kinds of stories you love to hear. Uh, people who you know actually enjoy what you do. So, it might, believe me, it's been my pleasure. And and we love talking when I can get Car- Gary to talk Niners. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my it's funny. My old man, he always tells me about you know. Oh, did you hear the Gary and Larry show today? And they they had this this funny segment and things like that. So it's uh, he's definitely a big fan of yours as well. Awesome. That's always good to hear. It's good to know I have somebody who's a fan. <laughs> somebody likes you. You know, it's always good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to be liked. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Larry, before we kind of get into the, the team and training camp, um, you mentioned working with Gary Radnich, and, and we kind of wanted to talk about your show a little bit. So to start, what's it been like working with Gary Radnich for all these years? You know, he, he, he keeps you on your toes. I mean, we don't, you know, it's, a, it's very organic. Um, he doesn't like meetings. He doesn't like, you know, he doesn't like planning things out. You know, we get together, we talk a little bit in the evening and that's it. And then, um, but it's been great. You know, he's a character. There's days I want to wring his neck and I just absolutely want (laughs) to kill him. You know, when he's bringing up ridiculous topics or leading us down roads, you know, that I really don't want to go down or when he's ignoring, you know, big time sports topics. I get frustrated with him clearly, but, uh, but maybe that's the key to the key to the success of the show. Who knows? Yeah. And it's interesting. We, we actually let off the show with asking you a question about Gary. So if he hears this, I'm sure he's going to let you hear about it when you see him next, right? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Anytime I do any radio interviews that don't include him, he likes to refer to it as I'm cheating on him. 
<laughs> so, so I maybe hopefully you won't view this as cheating. No, man. And but you two do have great chemistry. And is that something that you kind of developed over time, or is that something that you just ha- actively had to work for? Well, you know, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that I know who he is. He knows who I am. We're, we're we were very honest with each other when we sat down to you know when we got put together. The idea was you know broached. We were both very honest about it, and I really think um, if you're going to do good radio with somebody, you, there has to be a basic trust, and um, I think it took a while, really, to, to get, I don't think he, you know, he worked solo for so long that I, I really don't think he was in the mindset to want to trust, but um, after, after you know, maybe two years, three years, I mean, I started to kind of, kind of we started to have that trust and i could feel i could feel him trusting me and letting me kind of go at him harder because um he knew that i wouldn't you know i wouldn't try to slit his throat you know i was just just trying to do good radio so yeah that once we built up that trust it's really it's really taken off in in broadcasting it's it's such a competitive market and even now it's 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 pretty saturated um can you give us a little background there into how you actually broke into the business yeah, it's kind of a weird story. So, I mean, I went to I went to St. Ignatius High School, went to Sacramento State College. I was a communications major, and um, radio always interested me. You know, when I was in high school, I used to do my homework and I listened to Ralph uh, do Ralph Barbieri do the nighttime show, Candido, Dave Newhouse, those guys. Kind of like the precursor to the whole genre of sports talk. They used to do sports talk in the evenings. And then I just kind of never really thought about myself doing it, never really had that as a dream, but went to college, was a communications major, and about three quarters of the way through, I became an intern for Bud Ferrillo at KSAC, and I, I kind of fell in love with it. You know, the, the, just the, the on-air, the thrill of being on the air, you know, the, the thrill of kind of operating without a net, so to speak, outside of the seven-second delay, and that was, that was really exciting for me. Um, then at the end of my college career at Sac State, I actually, um, started scouting football players in the Canadian football league through the Sacramento gold miners, through the head coach of Sac State football. Uh, he, he left the school to go to, uh, the Canadian league and he brought me with him. And after one year there, a couple of the guys became executives with the Raiders and Cardinals. And, uh, one of them was Joe Woolley, who was a longtime Eagle scout and, uh, general manager and he he was he had rejoined buddy ryan in arizona and he asked me if i wanted to come scout the west coast for the cardinals and i said yeah let's do it so i was basically i moved back into my parents house i was based out of san francisco and i was scouting the west coast for college and pro prospects this was at the dawn of free agency and i was just looking for a little something to do monday through thursday because i was scouting pretty much on the weekends and um I just, I went to a headhunter firm, did an interview, told them I was interested in sports and they called me back and said, Hey, you know, sports byline USA is looking for somebody. And then they ultimately did not use that headhunter firm, but I contacted them independently. And sure enough, they were looking for somebody, but not on air. They were looking for somebody to do like affiliate relations. And, um, I, I did it. I did it for a couple of years. And in doing that job, I, I negotiated with program directors and general managers to take syndicated programming from this network. And then I got to got a chance to listen to sports radio all around the country and all of its different uh, ways it sounds. And, and I just kind of, you know, after I started listening to all these people doing sports radio, I, I said, Hey, I can do that. <laughs> and I can do this. I mean, heck, this is, this is not that hard. 
And then uh, they said, no, no, you can't do it. And you have no experience. And then I just begged and begged and begged. And eventually <laughs> I think I, you know, they, they said in the mid nineties, they said, Hey, you know, um, you can fill in for these guys at Thanksgiving. I think my first show was on Thanksgiving. And I, then I started, uh, they said, Hey, you're pretty good. And then, uh, I, I just stayed with that. And eventually I got the bug of bug for it so much that I left scouting when I came to KMBR in 97. Wow, that's a that's that's a really cool story, and I have to ask you, Larry, is it is it really easy? I mean, because Al and I know this, we know that it's not easy. It's not easy to to keep conversation and keep on topic and all those things. Is it, it the the layman will say that it that it looks easy? Is it really as easy as it looks? I mean, it is if you're if you're like a guy who does like a lot of guy things, and, and you watch the games, and you're really into it, and you're very verbal. Yeah, it's pretty much just, I'm just doing, and Gary's just doing what every guy who's watching the Niners, Giants, Warriors is doing on their couch. Where it gets complicated is you have to remember what you said yesterday, <laughs> you know, today. Because you, you can't just have a show that exists on, anybody can do this job for one day. But is there consistency of thought? in days, weeks, months, and years, is there, you know, can you, and, and do you get repetitive with the same crutch phrases and the same, so there's all kinds of little tricks to the trade, but I think overall, I mean, my brother's a judge, my sister's an attorney for Chevron, I got another sister who's a head of an English department at Cappuccino High School, I think all of those jobs are more difficult than mine, to be honest, but, um, but I also understand that some people just, they really, the number one fear of Americans is public speaking, and that's just something I just, I'm always a ham. I never feared that. So I think it's, it's, if you have the skills for it, it's really, really easy. And if you don't have the skills for it, it probably is very difficult. I think more than anything, just if you like people and you like sports and you like to argue, come on down, <laughs> you know, because that's kind of what it is. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And we, we like to ask this question of, of some of the other um, media personalities that come on our show. Can you kind of pinpoint some guests that have been your favorite to interview or just some, some guests that would stick out or personalities that would stick out that you come in contact with the media over the years? People that have stood out? I, I, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, I, 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 a couple that stand, have stood out, I'll give you. I mean, one, Eddie DeBartolo. I mean, just doing interviews mm -hmm. of Eddie. I mean, he is as generous a man as he comes across. Um, to me, that was one of the highlights because I just, I love Eddie. I love everything that he stands for. And to interview him was a great thrill. Um, you know, I, one, there was a night in Napa that I got, I got a chance during a Tony La Russa ARF um, fundraiser to sit at a table for an hour with Joe Buck, Jack Buck, Lon Simmons, Tony LaRussa, and Bill DeWitt, the owner of the Cardinals. And wow. just to interview those guys up in that in Napa was, you know, Lon was a hero of mine, who was a hero of my father's. And um and then of course Tony is just such a great I love Tony. Tony and I are friends and and then just to, to to get a chance to have Jack Buck sitting there with Joe Buck and telling stories about broadcasting and growing up and you know, Joe talking about growing up around his dad. That was very, very cool. Um, Joe Namath, I one time didn't, I actually didn't do an interview. I actually just was part of a radio convention. I wound up at a party with Joe Namath at, uh, in New Orleans at the 1994 National Association of Broadcasters Convention. 
and it was a CBS Sportsline party that was intended for like 400 people, and only like 30 people showed up. So Joe did all this schmoozing, and the party was going on for like three more hours, and he had nobody to talk to. And I just <laughs> sat there, and we just talked about everything. And we talked about New York and in the '60s, and and you know just the life that he that he had led to that point. And at that point in history, by the way, guys, he had he was the color analyst for Central Florida. And even though I wanted to talk about, you know, New York City and the Jets and all the, you know, the Rams and all the, all the incredible stories that Joe had, Alabama and, you know, Bear Bryant, you know, Joe basically, you know, he, he you know, he wanted to talk about Dante Culpepper, this quarterback who was mm-hmm. at Central Florida at the time, who he thought was going to be, oh, man, this kid, he's 6'4", he's 230, he throws it like, like nobody else, he's amazing, he's this, he's that, so... That was that was a great thrill talking to Joe. Now, what about the other side of the coin? And Zane and I haven't had this happen yet, but I'm I'm sure it's coming. Where where you have a guest come on and and they're just not talkative or they seem annoyed and they and they don't want to be there. Have you ever had to deal with that kind of situation? Well, there's always difficulties. I mean, um, I I one time did an interview with Carmelo Anthony outside the locker room uh, at the at the Coliseum. And I swear to you, I asked him, he was so non-expansive with his answers that I probably asked him 15 questions in a 10-minute interview. I mean, it was just like he had, he had nothing to say. Um, he would give me like, you know, just, you know, I mean, I would say something, hey, what do you think of this? And he'd say, yeah, yeah. You know, he'd give me nothing, absolutely <laughs> nothing. The other one was uh, Patrick Marlowe. Now, I interviewed Patrick Marlowe. He just finished a 19-year run with the Sharks. Well, you know, he, his English is far better now than it was when he first came to the Sharks. And I remember having him on Sports Phone 680, and he was just, he was terrible. I mean, he just could not speak. And people were like, why'd you, why'd you have this guy on without an interpreter? You know, people, <laughs> so, but I mean, you know, basically I haven't had too many people who don't want to be there. If I get somebody who, if I even sense you don't want to be there, I'm, I'm ending it, you know, because I, yeah. yep. to me, there's nothing worse than, interviewing a guy who doesn't want to be interviewed and yeah, it's it hurts your listeners too you know it's just it's awkward for everybody and I, I hear that i hear that you know sometimes like giants executives don't want to be interviewed when they're having a bad season that kind of thing you know that's one thing where we're going to trudge through because we're the flagship of the giants and we know there's that many people who want to hear it but if we're just having some random joe on you know the super bowl or something and he just doesn't sound like he wants to be there you know see ya you know, because there's nothing worse than sitting there asking questions to somebody who really doesn't want to be there. It doesn't happen that much. Guys really, you, it used to happen a lot at the beginning of the genre in the early 90s where you'd wind up with guys on the radio who, who wanted no part of it because they really didn't even know what, it, what they were getting themselves into. Now everybody mm-hmm. kind of knows what the, what, the, what the deal is. So if they don't want to do it, the person that you're asking typically knows that it's going to be you know, there's going to be some pointed questions and, you know, and, and if, so if you don't want to be in that arena, typically you just, you just say, Hey, I can't do it. And so we got a lot more guys who turn us down now than probably, you know, we did at the beginning of the beginning Mm -hmm. of the genre. We also have a lot more people who will come on because they just know us and they trust us, you know, because we've built up a reputation. Mm. Awesome. Awesome stuff, Larry. Awesome stuff. So getting kind of getting to the Niners, Obviously, this new regime is doing things a little bit differently than, than what we've seen in the years past. So for our listeners, there's local media and there's national media. So 
as a member of the local media, how different is it dealing with this front office compared to years past? Well, you know, I'm doing, you know, I think it's, first of all, the, the previous regimes, I mean, the Niners through multiple coaches, even during the Harbaugh years, everybody was paranoid. Everybody was looking over their shoulder, you know, and I think a lot of that has to do with the, the relationship that Jed has with Parag and how several of the other coaches and executives just struggled to, to kind of make that work, to find a workable role for Parag. Parag is a smart guy. He's, pre- he's going to be present. He's a major part of the 49ers brass. And yet Trent Baalke, I think, wanted to minimize him. And, J- and Jim Harbaugh wanted to minimize him. And Chip Kelly, well, you know, he you know, worked with him probably better than those guys did. It was always this kind of this uncomfortable nature of what's Parag's role? Is he spying on people? Does he have a use? I think mm-hmm. John Lynch came in, saw that relationship was one that's not going away. And so he saw it as, hey, I need to make this work. But more than that, I need to utilize what this guy can do. And I think it's been pretty clear this year in the draft. And I think it's going to be clear in the years ahead that Parag is He's not John McVeigh as a football man, but he may be John McVeigh like as far as engineering deals around mm-hmm. in and around mm-hmm. the draft. Mm-hmm. And I think they finally now have Parag in a role where he feels good about what he's contributing. Jed feels good about what he's contributing. They're not minimizing him and putting him in a corner. They're not paranoid about his presence. And they found his greatest strengths, and they're really getting the most out of it. And I think it's put everybody at ease. That, that's my read. I don't know if you – I thought Peter King's in, being embedded with the Niners during the draft was one of the best things that ever – best moves mm-hmm. that Lynch and Shanahan could ever make because mm-hmm. it kind of brought down the walls, took away the distrust, highlighted the, the strengths of Parag, and gave everybody kind of a role in a successful organization that can move forward together. I mean, it's amazing. I, and, I think that's – to me, that their utilization of Parag, I think, is is he can do things that that Kyle and John can't, and and yet he's not a football guy, so they can they obviously have strengths and knowledge of the game that he's never going to get to, and I just think everybody's really comfortable right now with his role, and I think since he's up always there as a powerful presence, I thought that was really key. And he's their salary cap and contracts guy too, right? Doesn't he? He does most of that. He's a capologist. Right. Yeah, and, and if you look at the Niners, they don't have bad contracts. I mean, you could say there's guys that may be okay. You bring up Vance McDonald, they shouldn't have done the deal, but they're never cap-strapped. Prague's done a great job with that for years, and yeah, I agree with you. He hasn't got enough credit for that kind of thing. Now, it's kind of been viewed as, I mean, look at the fans. The fans have called up and routinely ripped him because they were pro-Harbaugh, and Harbaugh clearly didn't want him around. Didn't want him in the... Now, I don't believe he should be on the headset in the coaches. In the, in the in the coach's room on game day, but I don't believe that's his role at this point. I think his role is capologist and and you know negotiator of deals and trying trying to optimize value in the draft. I thought their I thought their war room this year with the way they moved around. You know, we'll see if the players wind up being good, but but uh, I like the maneuvering and it all made sense and I thought they got good value and that's mm-hmm. all Parag. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of excitement now, Larry, and you alluded to some of the reasons why, but there's excitement surrounding this camp and, and where this team can ultimately be headed sooner than later. But given that this is still a rebuilding situation, 
are we getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, or, or could the Niners really make some serious strides this year? You know, I saw an interview with Jeremy Curley this week on the NFL Network where they pressed him on a record, and he actually said ten and six. Now, that would just be an unbelievable shock yeah, if they go yeah. ten and six. I mean, the Vegas over unders five, so that's what the that's what the betting public thinks. I think the betting public has underestimated them, but not to that degree. I, I would say, I would say success to me this year would be like seven and nine or eight and eight. I mean, eight and eight should be the goal. If you can get to eight and eight this year, I think you've done some really, some really incredible things. And talking to Larry Kruger on the No Huddle podcast, and Larry, we have to bring up a shadow that's going to be hanging over this season, and that shadow's name is Kirk Cousins. What are your thoughts on that situation and how it pertains to the 49ers? Well, it's a really interesting one because, you know, Cousins clearly seems, first of all, Cousins, I did an interview with Cousins during the Super Bowl. I got a, I got a pretty good indication that he'd like to, he has a lot more confidence putting his career in the hands of Kyle Shanahan than he does in putting his career in the hands of Jay Gruden. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really what's central with him. So I think he'd like to be be a Niner, but then there's also the Dan Schneider effect, where he's very, you know, very rich, very powerful. He's always gotten what he wants, and he may drive this thing off the cliff. He may he may wind up trading guys and paying him three years on the cap at thirty five million dollars next year, just to keep him out of Shanahan's hands. Or he may, you know, he he may just. I actually personally think if if I had to take give you my read on it, I think that the media in D.C. is so intense. There'll be so many people banging the drum for, for, you know, on this topic and trade them now, trade them now. They'll resist in the preseason. They'll resist in training camp. They'll say all the right things. They'll get off to a rough start. Things will go south, and then there'll be rumors right around the trade deadline in October that, the, that you know, that they may consider moving him. And unfortunately for them, for the Redskins, they don't have any leverage because if Cousins wants to be a Niner, you know, nobody's going to sign. Nobody's going to trade anything of significance for a player who they can't sign long term. So maybe the Niners, maybe the Rams would be the really the probably the two teams that have the best shot at them. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there are people that that feel like to go for Cousins would be to shorten the window because mm-hmm. Cousins will probably be thirty this year, mm-hmm. and you know the Niners are starting fresh. Why not? Why why start with a thirty year old quarterback? Um, but I think, you know, quarterback is such a vital position, you know, and an old scout told me one time, and I really believe this, and this would be my philosophy. If you don't have a franchise quarterback, you, you should go, you know, basically every move you make should be about trying to find a franchise quarterback because you can't win in the NFL without one. So I don't care if you get Cousins or not. I think I'm still using my first-round pick next, next April or May, whenever the draft is, on, you know, Josh Allen. Or or mm. or Sam Darnold, or maybe Rosen, or uh, I'm a big fan actually of Luke Falk, who probably is not going to not going to be around one guy, but I'm a big Falk Falk man myself. I like him. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's gonna, it's a great quarterback draft. My point is, I think he, I'd go with Cousins and draft a quarterback, you know, and and, and go that route. And I think this it's pretty good. I think it's a, I think it's a pretty good chance that they're going to get Kirk Cousins. But the question is, what will happen between now and then? With Hoyer, with Barkley, with Bethard, with the draft, with Cousins, with their with their team overall, or, you know the Forty Nine er talent base, and there's a lot of factors that play in here. But man, I, and I was an advocate last week on the show. If if 
if you're uh, Kyle Shanahan and you really believe that Kirk Cousins is your guy, I think you may want to call the Redskins right now and see if mm-hmm. you could get a deal done, you know, a preemptive strike before camp. I don't think they're going to be amenable to that, but I think it would be a great time to, to call them up and offer them, you know, one of your quarterbacks, a third-round pick, and maybe a player, and maybe a conditional mm-hmm. pick. You know, I think mm-hmm. to me, that if you say, what's the, what's the deal that brings him from the Redskins to the 49ers if there was a trade? I think it's either Barkley and Hoyer, Barkley or Hoyer, plus you'd probably give out that extra third-round pick that you got on draft day last year, and then maybe a player or two off your roster who maybe like a Vance McDonald or somebody that you're looking to kind of move on, and then a conditional mid-round pick for next year to make sure that it's an even trade for both teams. And have that pick be either a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, somewhere in there, and and then figure out, you know, some terms as to what equates to what mid round, what, what what exact round the pick goes in. But to me, that that's the framework of a deal, and it seems like it would be a win win for both teams. And you mentioned Brian Hoyer. Um... And I don't know if you saw his appearance on NFL Live this past week, but it was just the weirdest conversation ever. I mean, it was just the most awkward thing. Doesn't it, doesn't all of this put Brian Hoyer, who's the incumbent starting quarterback, in a really, really awkward position? Oh, it really does. It really does. And yet, and then if you look at some of the – there are some statistics that show that Hoyer's actually been superior to Cousins in some ways over the last couple of years. Um so, but I mean, this is the this is the plight of that kind of mid level quarterback. You know, he's he, he's he's all he's never going to have a set situation. He's always going to have to fight for it, earn it. You know, he's a real good quarter. I mean, I've studied Hoyer a ton. He's a, I loved him at Michigan State. I thought I thought he you know was a, he learned under Brady in those early years, and he's a really good quarterback on first and second down, and the numbers reveal it. Where he struggles is he few load up at the line of scrimmage, take away the run game, get him into third and long. He hasn't really proven that he can have any success in that scenario. And then of course the playoff game, he'd love to forget, you know, it was five picks or whatever. That was, that was a disaster. Just, you know, a snowball that kind of got away from him. I think he's a good leader. I think he's a smart guy. I think he, I think if he were six four two twenty, he'd be a, he'd be a coveted guy uh, in the NFL. And because he's not, he's going to have, he has to float around, but, if you can, if you can stay on schedule and and get to third and manageable, you can win games with him. If you have a nice defense and special teams. Now you mentioned part part of Hoyer's success will be contingent on the running game, and you got Kyle Shanahan and Bobby Turner there now who have a history of taking these mid round or little known backs, and they make them you know thousand yard rushers. So with that in mind, one player that's been a hot topic this offseason is Carlos Hyde, mainly because he's in the last year of his deal. And I almost feel like if he rushes for 1,500 yards, they're not going to want to pay him. And if he does what he's done recently, gotten hurt and maybe underperformed a little bit, they're not going to want him back anyway. So do you think this is Hyde's last season in San Francisco? How do you see that playing out, Larry? I re- this is the area where I really didn't like the offseason. I'm not a fan of Joe Williams. Now, I, you know, there's a lot of people who want to move Carlos off already for Joe Williams. Oh, Joe Williams is going you know, to take Carlos's job. Not the Joe Williams that I saw. I mean, not the Joe Williams I saw at Utah. He, he doesn't have a lot of lower leg strength. He doesn't break a lot of tackles. He's a one-cut-and-go guy. Um, not Aside from the fact that he quit the football team, I, I didn't even think he was the best Williams in the state of Utah. I thought Jamal Williams from BYU was, who went to Green Bay in the fourth round. I thought he was better. Tackle mm-hmm. breaker. 
So, as far, so, so it's all the guy who I am most eager to see at running back is this guy from Georgia Southern, I believe, Matt Breida. Mm, fast, yep. but also doesn't break a lot of tackles. But I'm interested to see Breida. I've got a buddy who scouts the Southeast who swears that Breida's got big time talent. But um, you know, I'm, I'm, I was a big advocate for Carlos in the draft. I really was excited when they got him. Um, he unfortunately he exposes his legs a lot on his second and third effort, so. He takes unneeded shots to the legs, um, but I, I really like him. And if you can get him at the right weight with the right complementary backs and the right offense, I think he could be a well above average NFL back. He's not a star, but I think he could be a well above average NFL back. We haven't seen it yet. I really believe this is the year. Now there's people speculating he's going to get traded in camp, which you know he would he would definitely fetch a decent pick probably if he has a de- if he has a good productive preseason, but. Uh, I, I still think he's the best back they have. I don't think it's close, and I'd be shocked if he doesn't get the lion's share of the, of the carries this year. As far as what, is it, what does that mean for his future, it's hard to say because I'm not sure that he's a perfect fit for this stretch zone running game, but he's, 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 a, he's a you know big, powerful running back who can break tackles, and I'm eager to see him in Shanahan after watching Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman last year. I'm really eager to see what the Niner backs as a committee really look like under Shanahan. Yeah, what do you think that pecking order, order will be? You think Hyde and then maybe Joe Williams gets the next most carries or Tim High, Hightower? How do you see it playing out? Well, let's go through the list. You got, High, you got Hightower, who's, who's not bad. He's not a bad back. And you got, uh, you got Joe Williams. You got Brita. Um, you got Hyde. Who are we missing? There's a couple. There's a couple other guys there, isn't there? There's Capri Bibbs. Yeah, Capri Bibbs. Yeah. You know, Bibbs is kind of a smallish back. I would probably say Hyde one, Williams two, Hightower three, Capri Bibbs four, and Brita is kind of the wild card, just as an athlete coming. You know, big time athleticism. Um, the state of Georgia, if you notice, will produce an awful lot of great athletic talents and some of them wind up at at georgia but a lot of them wind up at georgia tech and georgia southern and georgia state so if, if you're a road scout in the state of georgia you hit every single spot for fear that you're going to miss on a guy who's going to be a hall of famer that's what kind of talent resides in that state so if there was one player who you thought would break out or would think would break out on either side of the ball this year who would that guy be Hmm. Breakout guys who are already in the league. You mean? Um, uh, well, first of all, I, think, I think Josh Garnett and Trent Brown. You mm-hmm. know, offensive linemen. They're, they never hit the ground running. There's there's so much to learn there, and I just really think you got two big pieces of clay that just need to be molded. And Garnett is a great power blo- power run blocker who. You know, played the left side at Stanford, played a little more on the right side with the Niners, but I think he can play either side. I think they'll still, they, they in the OTAs, they nice. flip-flopped and they, you know, experimented with him at both guard spots. I think you'll see more of that in the preseason as they try to find him a spot. But I just, I believe in him, you know, I believe in, I believe in his toughness and his ethic and his athleticism. He looked a little overwhelmed last year. He really did. But um, I really think you're going to see a huge step forward from him. I think you're going to see a huge step forward from Trent Brown. You know, those guys really stand out to me as guys who are going to make significant steps. The biggest improvement that you typically see in the NFL 
is in a season, it's week one to week two, but in a career, it's year one to year two. That NFL weight room just gives you so much, you know, that I, I really expect those two offensive linemen to bust out and be quite a bit better and maybe be real anchor points for a line that is, I think, going to be a surprise to a lot of people and is it probably will be the fuel, the key to the, you know their their turnaround will be the improvement of this O line. So on the on the flip side of that, who are some guys who might be on the bubble, veterans or undrafted free agents or guys that have kind of been in the league for a couple of years? Uh, who are some of these guys that might be on the bubble? Well, you know, I, it's really difficult to say. I mean, so much happens in a football player's life as far as everything sped up. So every year is like five years in a baseball season or four years in an NBA season. So these guys' bodies age quickly. So you, oftentimes you show up and you'll realize that somebody's done who you didn't think was done. And I'm not sure who that's going to be, but I've gotten indications that it might be Navarro Bowman, that Navarro Bowman may not have really the, that the Bowman may not have the ability to be more than a two down linebacker who has to be taken off the field because he's a liability on passing downs. Um, I, that's right. That's my fear. My, you know, that's where I think, you know, it's one thing to, it's one thing to gather and, and cut, you know, when you're, when you're trying to cut, it's another thing to play pass coverage off a torn Achilles, a torn ACL, mm-hmm. you know, all those injuries start to, you start to lose a little bit of your fluidity. I fear that he could be at or near the end, um, far, far sooner than any of us thought he would be because of these crushing injuries. So that's one I'm, I'm fearful of where he's at. Um, you know, I'd like to see I'd like to see Aaron Lynch do something. It's it's about time for Aaron Lynch to kind of get at the right weight, show up in camp on you know uh, in shape and ready to roll. I think he's going to be an interesting guy to watch. Um, and I think there's a lot of competition at safety. You know, don't sleep on Lorenzo Jerome out of St. Francis. I, I I love this kid. He had 18 interceptions in college. He had three interceptions in two All Star games. This guy's just got a nose for the ball. He's played corner. He's played free safety. Um, I saw him in the all-star games. He didn't test out well at the combine. As far as the combine numbers leading into the draft, he didn't, didn't test well, but he's a football player and he's an instinctive player who's going at the right speed and playing in, you know, he, he might be able to patrol that deep middle in a, in a cover three where you're looking for somebody to patrol the deep middle. He might be that guy. So I, I think the safety depth is, is tremendous and there may be a good player cut or traded this summer who just loses out in a numbers game yeah lorenzo jerome just not to jump on your question zane but uh 43 collegiate games he forced 23 turnovers we love lorenzo jerome i agree with you i think he could really be a player well he's got he he you know you and you can tell he doesn't have he doesn't have big time physicals he's he doesn't he doesn't have a 40 inch vert not running a four three you know he's not he doesn't have any of those things but you know when you have good instincts um, you, you know, you play, you, you're field fast. You play faster than your, than your time because you're leaning in the right direction. Your film study and everything has, you, you're, you're moving, flowing towards the football. You show me a guy who can really, really run on defense who has poor instincts and you got to run from that player. That player gets you beat because his speed and explosiveness works against him because he's going in the wrong direction. A lot of times he takes himself right out of the play. So instincts mean an awful lot especially when you're looking after the draft for guys who don't have the measurables. And, you know, I, I think that guy's a very special player. I'm also really eager to see, as far as a bust-out guy, I'm interested to see Will Redmond 
you know, Will Redmond physically has the ability to be the number two, number starting corner opposite Richard Robinson. He's got that kind of physical ability. He's got that kind of t- quick twitch and athleticism, long arms, tenaciousness, played in a big-time conference in the SEC. It wasn't healthy last year. You get Will Redmond healthy and right, I think he's going to give Reeser and Dante Johnson and everybody else who's going to try to try to you know land that corner job opposite Richard. I think he's going to give them all a run for their money. I like Redmond this summer. Staying on the offensive side of the ball or looking at the offensive side of the ball, Larry, do you believe the team has enough weapons in the passing game? Really, the only proven guy is Pierre Garçon in the wide, re- wide receiver group. No, they don't. I mean, I've heard great things. I was just in the interview last week, Matt Miller from Bleach Report touting George Kittle, the fifth-round pick at Iowa, and I've heard a lot of people say a lot of great things about Kittle. Um, I, I really kind of like Cole Hickettini from Iowa, from uh, Louisville. I think both those guys are going to wind up making the team. But no, they're, 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 they needed dynamic offensive weapons, and they still need dynamic offensive weapons. Pierre Garçon's a chain mover. But, I mean, the guy that, that Curley was talking up was Marquise Goodwin. Now, Goodwin was a world-class, almost an Olympic uh, sprinter. I mean, he's a big-time wheels guy at Texas. But he's always been a go-pattern guy strictly. But I've heard great things from coaches and from players about Marquise. And Marquise has got home-run hitter ability. So he's one guy who I'm really eager to see um, because he can make a difference. I mean, he's definitely going to take the top off the defense. He's definitely going to open things up underneath. I really like that addition. I mean, they have not had that piece for a long time, and I think he's going to be better than people think. So he's he's interesting. There's a whole bunch of wide receivers. Um, I think Bruce Ellington's a, a player. I still think that he's going to show something. I know he's been hurt and he's you know he's just struggled to stay get on the field, stay on the field. But I'm a big Bruce Ellington fan. I, I just think he's an NFL player of of significance, and I think he will eventually show that. But it's got to happen this year. And it's got to happen right now. Um, DeAndre Smelter is an interesting guy, big bodied receiver with a lot of ability, and he's going to get an opportunity. So there's a there's a bunch of there's a bunch of receivers, but the answer the the short answer is no. They need a more dynamic quarterback. They need a more dynamic running back. They need a more dynamic uh, wide receiver. And and the, I'll tell you this: the one dynamic player that they that they really did steal, I thought. Uh, was Victor Bolden Jr. as an undrafted free agent. I mean, they call him Quick Six. Uh, he played at Oregon State. He's a tiny little guy, but this guy plays big. And he, he can really run. I mean, I, I don't know what the 40 said, but I really don't care because I watched him on Saturdays, and he just ran away from defense. He's a punt returner. He's a kick returner. He's a, he's a slot receiver. He's small, but he's not weak. Uh, mm-hmm. Victor Bolden Jr., is going to be heard from this preseason. And I, I, I think Trent Taylor and Victor Bolden are going to battle it out. I think one of those guys makes the team and one of those guys winds up on the practice squad, but I think they both have NFL careers. Yeah. It's interesting. Victor Bolden was actually on our show last week and just, just talking to him. He's just, a, he's just a really good dude. Like he just, he just is full of enthusiasm and, and he's an intelligent guy. Like if you speak to him, he's a really well-spoken, intelligent guy. And he's electric with the ball in his hands. I mean, yep. you know, he really is electric. He's, he, you know, some guys just have it. They just have the ability to run in the open field and run away from people. Um, I don't know what his 40 time was, but to me, I would say he looks like a guy who runs in the low four threes. And yeah. I, I don't, I, I bet you he didn't clock anything close to that, which is probably why he didn't get drafted. But um, big play guy, more than just a, a return man, 
Um, obviously, he's not a you know he's not going to take monster hits in the middle of the field from Cam Chancellor and get up. I mean, he's 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 somewhat fragile, but I really like him, and he's not afraid. He doesn't play the game afraid. So look for Victor Bolden because he's a big play guy too. He's he's going to make big plays, and he's somewhat inter- he's he's somewhat of um, can be a fan favorite because he's entertaining. It's funny. I actually asked him about his 40 time when we had him on because he ran a four or five. And I agreed with you when I put on the tape or the film and I saw him play, he looks like he runs a four or three. He's running by everybody. Um, and yeah. he kind of agreed. Yeah. He's, he's got more game speed than, you know, that, that time speed. And, and I, I agree with you. I think he could be a sleeper now moving on. I, one of the things I want to ask you about Larry was the front seven, because it was so bad last year, whether it was scheme or injuries or, or combination of both. But it looks like a different group, at least on paper. You, you have Thomas and Buckner and Mitchell or Doomerville, Armstead, and then the linebackers, Smith, Brooks, Foster, Bowman. Do you expect a huge leap from this group, or, or might it look a little bit better on paper than it, than it will actually play? Well, it's interesting. You know, Miller, I was listening, once again quoting Matt Miller. Matt, Matt Miller said that he thought that, that Lynch looked at, at Solomon Thomas and and Reuben Foster is his Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks, who obviously both became Hall of Famers. I mean, that may be ambitious, but I will say this. I mean, to me, Solomon Thomas, the, the comparison that I would have, his, his, you know, is, he's a hard guy to figure out. He, I wasn't doing cartwheels when they drafted him because I, I, I just I don't like Stanford de- defensive linemen. The idea that you're going to find some guy who's nasty and, you know, this awesome in the trenches guy who's from Stanford just seems unlikely to me. He seems a little bit too refined, uh, you know, as far as a person to, to be a defensive lineman in the NFL. These guys are, it's a rough job description. But if you ask me who he reminds me of, he does, he doesn't remind me of a defensive end at all. He reminds me of, of, uh, of Donald for the Rams. He's an interior rusher with unbelievable hand strength, unbelievable quickness, an ability to penetrate the gaps. It'll be very interesting to see how they use him because, uh, you know, the, I've heard people say, oh, they're going to play him at Leo. I don't, I don't think that at all. I really don't see that. I, I think they're going to wind up playing him in, inside. I think it, as an interior guy, he plays low. He has great hand usage. He's exceptionally strong. Uh, he, he, he's very quick off the snap. He's a knife through penetrator like an Aaron Donald. So, but he's lighter than that. So, he, you know, he's either, he's either, he's either an undersized defensive tackle or he's kind of a somewhat shortish defensive end. Well, I look at him as an undersized defensive tackle, but a very good one and a very effective one. As far as Foster, I think Foster is just, if he's healthy, I think Foster might've been the best pick in the draft. I mean, and it sounds like he's going to be healthy and ready to roll. Now, to me, that's a big if. But if those two guys are as billed, man, this is a this defensive front. And now you got Doomerville, who's done nothing but sack the quarterback his whole life. Now, granted, he's he's long in the tooth at this point. But I like Armstead. You know, I heard from the, my people who I who I know who speak to Eric Armstead. Supposedly, Armstead's in the best shape of his life, and I think Armstead is a is a really intriguing football player because he is you know he's not an interior rusher he's a he's he's a jumbo pass rusher me he was far he was a far more impressive pass rusher than i thought he'd be and he was a far weaker run defender than i thought he would be Mm -hmm. so i like the idea of playing him at the leo even though you don't think of him as an outside guy I, i just think that 
as a jumbo guy, he could be a little Julius Peppers-ish. So I think there's a lot. Of, and as far as Buckner, I think Buckner is a tremendous talent who was great as a rookie. Who's gonna? I think I think the biggest thing when we all go down to camp and we start watching these guys throw, you know, play, and a little bit in the preseason, I think we're all going to come to the conclusion that Buckner is seriously special. I really mm-hmm. think he's going to take a major step forward and and be right there with the best defensive lineman in the league. And a year from now, he's going to be right there at the top of the list. He's a beast. He's fast. He's instinctive. He's got clubs for arms. He's got strong hands, instinctive, durable, quick. I mean, he, uh, he's, he's tremendous. And I think those two, I agree with you. I think, I think the Niner front seven is going to be enormously improved. It really is. But then there's also some other questions. What if Bowman really has gotten old? What if Foster really is hurt? They still are relatively thin there. So I think it's one of those things where in camp it's going to look great. Maybe even in September and October could look great, but they still have relative lack of depth on that front seven. And you know, you're listening, you're, you're leaning on some guys who aren't that hot. If the top guys go down, this is where their, their lack of depth or the, the fact that it's year one of this rebuild is really going to come into focus. I think there'll be a, I think the flash flash incredible improvement and then the injuries will mount and they'll start to, to really show their, their relative thinness as a, as a defense. And Larry, I have to say that we totally kill the clock. Um, I, I, we really appreciate you giving us the extra time and, and staying, staying this, this, uh, this extra time with us. And I can, if I listen clearly, I can kind of hear Gary yelling at us from his house for going over the clock. Yeah. Yeah. No, Gary, you know, Gary, we, you know, the clock is not our specialty on this show. show. (laughs) Not ours either. Well, and if I get going on a topic, I like the Niners, I, I could be sitting here all day. Oh, absolutely. So I, I know it's kind of tough to do, but can you give us a prediction on how many wins the 49ers get this season? Yeah, you know, I did this. I wrote a, a piece for a KMBR, like preview guide that's going to be handed out throughout the preseason, I believe, at the games, or maybe I'm not sure exactly where you're going to be able to get it, but we did a whole preview guide, and I went through every team in the league, and I gave their 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 breakdown. I think the 49ers, you know, I think they're a seven and nine type football team. Um, you know, I, I think they're a lock to go over the Vegas total of five, but um, it's, I, I still think seven and nine, eight and eight at the outside. But if I had to be tied down, I'll say seven and nine. All right, Larry, before we let you go, um, the last segment we do on the show is uh, a rapid fire segment where we get to know a little bit more about our guests. Um, and we haven't thought of a name for it yet just because Zane and I aren't that witty. But what we basically do is we just want to kind of know, you know, what your interests are, what you're into, that sort of thing to, to give the fans an sure. idea of, of Larry the person. So, all right, first question is, what are some of your favorite movies? Favorite movies? Yes. Um, wow, favorite movies. I got a lot of favorite movies. I mean, my kids make fun of me sometimes because uh, one of my favorite movies is March of the Penguins. <laughs> I just like Morgan Freeman talking about those penguins. It just gets me every time. Uh, the, uh, you know, so the emperor penguin. No, I like that movie, but I, I, you know, I'm, I always love the, uh, I was a big Eddie Murphy fan. So I love the Beverly Hills cop one and two. Number three is the worst movie of all time, but one and two, <laughs> um, was, a, was one of my favorites. You know, I, I, 
Uh, there's a there, there's kind of an obscure movie that I really enjoyed, um, starring Tom Hanks and um, and um, Bruce Willis called Bonfire of the Vanities off the book Bonfire of the Vanities, which was a movie with Melanie Griffith in the eighties. I that know that one. one. Yeah, yep. I know that one. And then I'll tell you, if Gladiator's on, I can't tell you the number of times I'll watch Gladiator. You know? yeah. I just, I just that that movie has an odd allure to me. I just, uh, if it, you know, TNT will have that thing on. It might be on tonight. I mean, literally, I'll, I will sit down at one o'clock in the morning when I got to go to work the next day, and I'll, I'll I'll sit there and I'll watch Gladiator till three thirty in the morning, just uh, just because it's on, and I don't even I'm not sure exactly why. So those are the ones, and all the Rocky movies except for you know one through four. Yeah, five, five doesn't count. Ended. Five doesn't never happen. Five, five never happen. happen. <laughs> uh, four was one of my favorite. Uh, you know, Drago. If he dies, he dies. He dies. <laughs> In Rocky Four uh, is like the best movie. The Kid as well with Johnny, one of the great villains yep. in American cinema. So I got a bunch of favorites, really. The Rocky Four soundtrack, best soundtrack in the history of movies. Awesome. Just There you go. Great tunes. Great uh, tunes Patrick Connor and I were joking about that the other day when Rocky was driving through the tunnel and he's listening to... Uh, no Easy uh, Way Out. Yeah. Yep. No Easy Way Out. No yep. Easy Way Out. No Shortcut Home. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I do. What, what about um, you know, some my favorite song? From, maybe one of my favorite songs from that movie was uh, James Brown, Living in America. Oh, with the Power oh, yeah. Creed yep. dancing around. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's one of the best. Now, I want to watch Rocky Four now. I'm all pumped up. I want to go throw some weights <laughs> around, getting get all pumped up. All right. What about Bridget any- Nielsen? The Bridget Nielsen was still hot back then. That's how old that was. <laughs> it was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> any TV shows you're addicted to, Larry, that you just, you just binge watch? Sopranos, man, I'm a Sopranos yeah, nut, man. I me love too. the Sopranos. My favorite character of all time is um, is probably the grandma from the first season of the Sopranos. I mean, she was awesome, and that whole show is awesome. My other one is, you know, I used to love Seinfeld, but then I thought Seinfeld was the best. But Curb Your Enthusiasm is far and away outside of the Sopranos. That's my favorite show of all time. If I have to go, if I'm cr- flying across the pond, so to speak, I'm 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 getting a curb your enthusiasm, um, you know, marathon going. And the greatest curb your enthusiasm of all time is when he has Johnny Mac in the back of the limo, and <laughs> and Johnny Mac thumbing through a book of freaks as a as a grieving family gets in the limo to grieve their their deceased, and Johnny Mac kicks him out of the limo. None of them spoke English. It's one of the greatest scenes in American <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> cinema, American television cable. That is, but Curb Your Enthusiasm is the best. Or when when uh, Larry David had to had to ride in the car, had to he decided he was going to pick up a prostitute so he could ride in the carpool lane to get to Dodger Stadium. Uh, it was a great one. I yeah, mean, yep. you know, I mean, just just that that show is incredible. Now I got to ask you. About I also love it because I loved I loved how I loved um, the dis- incredible disdain that Larry's manager's wife, Susie, every time she said, my name's Larry. And every time she'd say, Larry, Larry, <laughs> just, just she hurt the way she would say that name was just awesome. I mean, she's one of my favorite characters of all time. I got to ask you about the Sopranos ending though. Did, did, did you like it or did it, did it make you mad the way that it ended? It was odd. It was an odd ending, but nothing can ruin that show for me. I thought that was, that show was incredible. I stumbled probably, on the first episode just accidentally, and I was hooked. Yeah, and, that's probably number one for me too. If you put a gun to my head, I'd probably I'd probably pick Sopranos. It was um, it was incredible. What about music? What's some of your favorite musical acts? 
You know, I have a very eclectic music taste. I mean, I like everything. I, I, I'm from San Francisco. I, I partied in high school. One of the girls I dated, uh, her friend was, was somehow dating too short. So I, I partied oh, with a rapper too short and no I, I'm a big fan of too short, but too shorts, you know, rhymes are kind of, you know, it's a little on the edge you know, family of <laughs> father of four who lives in the burbs. You know, I don't, I'm not busting a lot of too short these days, but occasionally, um, but I, I'm a big reggae fan, you know, Jimmy Cliff, Peter Tosh, uh, Bob Marley, love, love reggae. We went to a bunch of reggae shows. I'm a big fan of Dave Matthews, kind of like kind of laid back. If I'm going old school, I like, I like, uh, uh, James Taylor. James Taylor's a big, big, you know, I'm a big fan of James Taylor and, um, but yeah, I like, I like a little bit of everything. ACDC when I'm, when I, you know, I like to throw ACDC on the show. Like, that gets me fired up when I when I hear different ACDC riffs. Mm-hmm. I used to I finished my show on KMBR for years when I was doing the nighttime show with I I'd, I would lead the final segment of the show I would have them play the entirety of of the ACDC song Ride On, and that's one of my favorites of all time. So those are the ones that stand out. What about your favorite athlete of all time? Ooh. Um, I mean, I grew up in the city in the sunset. I mean, I, I, I would say my favorites are Willie McCovey and Will Clark and Joe Montana. And then I've gotten to know Dwight Clark, you know, through the years. And Dwight, I just, you know, it's amazing. And this guy that I rooted for as a kid, and it's like now we're friends. And it's just, um, he's just such a down-to-earth, cool, cool guy. I mean, everything you see with those guys, you know, Will Clark especially. I've had a chance to spend a lot of time with Will Clark. He's, you know, trying to help him raise money for autism awareness and that kind of thing. He's just, he's just an awesome dude. I mean, he's just really, really great guy. I mean, the kind of guy, he's not per, he's not perfect person or anything, but he's a, he's a, he's a term. He's just a, he's a great guy to hang with and talk ball with and, you know, let him start spinning some yarns. I mean, it's, you know, it's great stuff. How's Dwight Clark doing health wise? You know, I mean, obviously Dwight got a debilitating deal and it's something that's going to gradually get worse. But, um, I saw him a couple months ago and he was, seemed like he was in good spirits and doing well. Um, you know, I was, I remember him talking to me about it as he didn't still hadn't have it diagnosed. He's like, Hey, you know, I've got weakness in my hand and I'm not really sure where it's coming from. And, you know, we were just kind of brainstorming me, him and Brandon Crawford did a, did a deal for, um, flaky brothers, uh, just a, like a meet and greet up in Sonoma about maybe six or seven weeks before he made that announcement. And we had that conversation about how he had some weakness in his hand. And so, I mean, you know, Dwight's, Dwight's an awesome guy. He really is. I don't know if you guys have ever had Dwight on the show, but I mean, he's just, he's just a cool guy. He's just like a down, down to earth. What you see is what you get straight shooter, you know, just a cool guy. Yeah, and we're definitely all the fans are thinking of him definitely as as he goes through this. Yeah. All pray, prayers to Dwight. So, um, f- finally, Larry, one food that you can't live without. One food I can't live without. Yeah. Um, I like turkey, but I would say uh, I would say one food I can't live without. I like red vines. I like red vines. I just took the kids to the movies last night. See the new. Uh, new uh planet of the apes had to get had to grab the red vines <laughs> oh not sure that why keeps you, keeps you going i'm also a big fan of swedish fish 
So I, I know I'm making myself sound like Lamar Odom here. I'm like a candy guy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm very, I take my candy very seriously. All right, Larry, finally, is there anything you want to plug, anything you want to uh, tell the listeners about that you got coming up? Well, a couple things. Just, hey, Monday through Friday, KMBR 680, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., Gary and Larry show. Listen and go check it out on the podcast. Um, we do a lot of great stuff, like segments that are, you can go to KMBR.com and check out the podcast page and go right to the interviews. And if you're a Niner fan, all the, all the Niner stuff is all grouped. And you can go, you know, like that's like, I'll tell you one little secret of uh, what I do to prep for the pregame show is, you know, I'll get on the treadmill try to do some exercise, let's say on a Saturday, you know, and I'll give it a couple hours and I'll just go on the podcast and I'll just play every 49er interview, uh, that was, that aired on KMBR that week. And that's my prep. And then I'll, I'll hear all of it. And then I'll just kind of jot down some things. And that, that kind of gets me ready to kind of take it in any, any direction on a Sunday, but that, and then of course, August 2nd, I've got dinner with a legend with, uh, John, John Lynch. Niners general manager and I will be down at Levi's. I think it's like $60 a head. You can go to cambiar.com and sign up. There's only, uh, I believe, 70, 70 tickets available total. And last I checked, as of Friday, there was like 22 that had already been sold. But they just went on sale last week. $60. It's August 2nd. It's going to be from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. And it's just going to be a cocktail party at Levi's. I'm going to bring my dad and my oldest son. And, and we're just going to talk a little bit about a, bu- a number of things, you know, getting ready for camp and getting ready for preseason and how he sees this team. And, and I got my own questions that I'd like to ask him. You know, one of them is, is about the quarterbacks. You know, can we, or is this, is this going to be a Hoyer's clear one and Barkley's clear two and Beathard's clear three? Or what if Beathard rolls into the preseason and outplays? What if Barkley rolls into the preseason and outplays the other two guys? Are they, is it, is it really an open competition or is it, is it Hoyer's the number one guy? So we'll get into that. We'll get into a bunch of different things that night, but August 2nd, and you can buy tickets at KMBR.com. Feel free to uh, throw in the 49ers web zone, no huddle podcast at any time during that interview. Too, <laughs> lunch. Just, just throw it a little Al Sacco, just put, put that in there, you know, anywhere you could throw it in. Uh, uh, it's all good. You know, you, of course you'll, 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 you'll tweet me a, a copy of this and then I'll, I'll tweet it. And we'll, we'll make sure we give you guys a mention tomorrow on the show. That would be awesome. That would really so be much, awesome. Really, really Thank you so much. That. Larry, this was absolutely awesome. Thank you for your time. This interview was a blast. Um, good luck to you. And hopefully, hey, let's, let's do this again. I would love to have you back on. Sounds good. Sounds good. I'll tell you, the, the, the highlight of uh, my, my stint at KMBR, I'd have to say, since I've been back since 2011, was going to New Orleans for Super Bowl 47 and spending that week in New Orleans getting ready for that incredible game. And I really feel that Shanahan and Lynch are going to, are going to get the Niners back there. It's not going to be this year. It may not be next, but I really believe in short order, you're going to see the 49ers back in that game. And that's, that's music to the ears of all Niner fans. I really believe it's going to happen. So yeah, guys, anytime you need me, let me know. Appreciate it, Larry. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Have Larry. A good night. Take care. Thanks to Larry. And thanks to the fans for Zane. This is Al. We'll talk to you soon. Bye guys.